Welcome to Impact, a podcast ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. Impact features interviews with gifted Bible teachers that will help you better understand Scripture so it will have a greater impact on your life. The host of Impact is Mark Jenstead, the Staff Minister for Nurture at St. Andrew. Hi, everyone. It's great to grow in understanding with you, and of course, to grow in the greater blessing of faith. Understanding is one thing we're after, but ultimately, we turn to the Word to grow in our faith and in our relationship with the Lord, and that's a blessing of this podcast. Let's begin with prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for the incredible gift you have given us in your Son. As we turn to your Word today, guide us to all truth strengthen our faith, and increase the impact your word has on our lives. Amen. So today, folks, thanks again for being here today. Some of you are maybe listening for the first time. I'd like to welcome you to this podcast, and I hope that you become a regular listener. And some of you are back for more, and I appreciate you being here as well. Uh, Today, I headed east. Uh, My first stop, east from Madison, my first stop was Lake Mills where I had the privilege of leading chapel at Lakeside Lutheran High School this morning. And now I'm on the campus of one of America's truly great institutions of higher learning. (laughs) And you're laughing, but I I am sincere when I say that. Wisconsin Lutheran College in Milwaukee. And my guest is Pastor Greg Lyon. Welcome. Great to be back. Good to have you back. Keep through 1st and 2nd Peter. That's right. 2nd Peter chapter 2 today is our uh, study. Before we get there, mm-hmm. uh, so the last time the last time you were on this podcast, it was pre South Dakota vacation, mm-hmm. and so you you had a chance to take that vacation this summer. Yep, uh, a couple months back. So I don't know how fresh the memories are, but what what stands out as you think back to that vacation? Yeah, you know I got to say something about South Dakota. There's so much more there than I thought was actually there. It seems like a just a quick, easy place. We, I mean, we could have spent all kinds of time there. But uh, hitting up Mount Rushmore, you know, I know we talked a little bit about that. And um, boy, Mount Rushmore is impressive. I, I was I was surprised at how impressive it was. And and when we were there, there was a Marine Corps band. We were there on July third, so there was a Marine Corps band there that was awesome. And then it started pouring. So you're looking up at Mount Rushmore and and the water was hitting all the presidents just right. It looked like they were all crying. My kids were like, what's wrong with President Washington? It, it was it was really cool, though. We had a great time. So you took in the Black Hills. Yes. Yeah. Did you see the Corn Palace on the way out or on the way home in Mitchell? I didn't stop there, but I saw that it exists. Did you and- see signs for wild drug? And did you stop there? So we inadvertently stopped there. Um because I blew a tire right outside of Ooh. wall. So, yeah, we got that taken care of, no problem. But uh, finding a place that was open on a Sunday on July 2nd was hard. But we got it all taken care of. God is good, kept us safe. And the kids got to enjoy wall while I was trying to put on a spare tire. So I was going to say, did you did you call AAA or did you do that yourself? So we called AAA. Uh 
but then I had I had three little girls sitting on the side of the freeway. So we actually ended up calling the police just to say, can we just, you know, have some lights so until these girls get picked up? It was up. dark. Uh, it was it wasn't dark, but there was a looming storm. And we're you know, when you're in South Dakota, you can see everything just rolling in. Um, so I had three little girls in the car, so we called the police, and the police actually ended up helping us out more than Triple A did. Um, all is well that ends well. It was a great trip. Very good. Second Peter chapter two today. Mm-hmm. So this is about false teachers, yeah, false teachings. Uh, that's a big problem in the church today, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah, and you know, you read through Second Peter chapter two, and and you come away from it just. I don't know about you, but I I just felt heavy after I read it. It it's not a very lighthearted chapter. the The picture that I couldn't get out of my head was uh, forgive the illustration, but I just pictured a grumpy old man who's just sick of it, <laughs> you know. And and Peter getting into his older years, just saying I'm just done with this, and he just kind of lets some of these false teachers have it. Um, but sprinkled in here, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, there are these little glimpses of God's grace, little uh, uh, flowers in the desert, if you will, uh, that as harsh as he is on the false teachers, um, he's harsh on them because of his passion for the gospel. And and you can see that sprinkled in here. Okay, let's uh, let's go after Second uh, Peter chapter 2 and see if we can have uh, Pastor Lyon help us all better understand these words. Uh, as I prepared for today, I, I went through this chapter. I've been through it before. Uh, I, I, um, I guess my initial impression was, wow, there is a lot in here to mm-hmm. learn from. Mm-hmm. So uh, folks, I'm looking at verse one. And uh, if you have a chance to have your Bibles open as you listen to this podcast, that's terrific. Otherwise, please take time to read Second Peter chapter 2. So verse 1 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. And I'm going to stop right there. Mm -hmm. So that phrase stood out to me, who bought them. Them is the false teachers. And what Peter is saying is that Jesus died for their sins. Yeah, They're unbelievers, but Jesus died for their sins. So, so. What that is, is what we call in the Lutheran Church the doctrine of universal justification, the doctrine that Jesus died for all people, including false teachers. Why is that doctrine important? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me just comment on this, that that the idea of who bought them. Peter alluded to this in 1 Peter, right, where, where he talks about you were bought not with gold or silver— but with the precious blood of Christ. Uh, so you, you have that same kind of buying um, picture there. But uh, yeah, universal justification, um, another word we put on it, objective justification, same thing. Now, to be clear, we don't, we don't teach universalism, which means that everyone is automatically going to heaven. So we don't teach universalism. But universal justification uh, simply means not simply, but it means that Christ died for the sins of the whole world. So regardless of who you are, where you come from, what you believe, Jesus Christ died for you. And what an important thing that is for us to understand, first of all, for ourselves. That, um, you know, I hear a lot of people say things like, I don't feel forgiven. And I absolutely understand not feeling forgiven. But the facts are that you are, right? There's nothing... uh, 
this forgiveness can't be taken away from you. So it changes the way that I view myself, but also doesn't it change the way that we view other people? Um, those who are led astray, those who are living in blatant, unrepentant sin, I can look at them even with a sense of passion, compassion and say, this is a child for whom Christ died. And, um, and, and, and rather than look at, at the false teachers of the world with this disdain, which, which is appropriate, we can also look at them with a sense of compassion. Um, that that Christ loved this person. Uh, I I can't help but think of um, the account of the rich young ruler, right? Where where Jesus looked at him and loved him, and uh, and then pointed out his sin. But uh, I think objective justification is so important because I can look at people and say that is a soul that Christ thought that's someone I want to die for. So I can have that sense of compassion. And you talked about how Peter, he uses the phrase here, who bought them, mm-hmm. going back to what he said in, in a previous chapter, with the precious blood of Christ. Uh, when I think of that phrase, bought them, I think of uh, Jesus as our Redeemer. Yeah. That's essentially what that word means, right? To buy back. Yeah. Jesus bought us back from the grips of Satan, sin, and death. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this chapter is about false teachers. Here's a quote from Martin Luther. Those who have God's word must expect to have false teachers also. Is that quote helpful? Yeah, I got I got to think about the word helpful. Well, I guess what he's saying, I don't want to put words in his mouth, yeah. but I'll I'll try to paraphrase. I think he's saying it's it's good to know. Yeah. Because be forewarned. Yeah. Uh, keep your guard up, so to speak. Yeah, and and I think if I were to put a different word on it than helpful, I would say honest. Is he being honest? And and honesty is helpful. So, you know, I would I would I would ask the question, is it helpful to be honest? Um sometimes, you know, we we can get these heavy doses of of these kind of things that Luther said. Um, you can expect to have suffering. You can expect to have this. And and you kind of come away from it saying, Can you just give me some good news? But I think Luther and scripture itself is honest. And it's real. So you can you can expect that there will be false teachers. Is it helpful? Yeah, it's helpful to be honest so that we can be aware. Okay, specific to the text, again, verse 1, folks, it says false teachers introduce destructive heresies. Heresy is false teaching. Can you, Pastor, provide us with an example of a destructive heresy that is alive and well in the church today? Mm-hmm. I think two come specifically to mind. Um one is the fight against what we just talked about, and that's objective justification. That Jesus, Jesus' death atoned for the sins of the whole world, but didn't actually forgive the sins of the whole world. So um, that, that kind of, st- it strips the gospel of its strength when you say that Jesus' death didn't actually forgive the sins of the whole world. Uh, and, and it's subtle, uh, but the, the corresponding thought is then that Jesus', Jesus death atoned for the sins of the whole world, but I'm not forgiven until I accept, or something along those lines. Um, but no, Jesus' death forgave the sins of the whole world. And that forgiveness becomes mine personally uh, through what we call the means of grace. Um, That faith comes from hearing the message 
and the message is heard through the word of Christ, through baptism, through the Lord's Supper, that that forgiveness becomes mine personally. But to say that Jesus' sins didn't, or Jesus' death didn't forgive the sins of the whole world is a it's a dangerous heresy. I, I want to mention one other, and I don't know how many people would think this is very prevalent in our church, but I'm just seeing sprinklings of it. Um, in first century AD, uh, one of the first heresies that came out was called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was, was this pervading thought that there's a secret knowledge about how to get to heaven. And and Peter even brings it up in, in, in these verses where he talks about the word that he says that they will secretly introduce these things. I just can't help but wonder if Peter's feeling senses of this Gnostic, this Gnostic idea, but that there's this secret way to get to heaven. And where I see that um, still playing out today is the Gnostics believed that we are, uh, I'll say, entrapped souls, that our inner self is the truest um is the truest, uh, what do I want to say? That is who we are. The inner self is who we are. And the body is just a necessary evil. So in, in scriptural terms, we talk about being um, embodied souls. I think the Gnostics would think of it as being entrapped souls. So if your body is just a necessary evil, then I can do whatever I want with it. And um, I think there's, there's a lot of different ways that we've seen in our culture today that this Gnostic idea that the inner self is the truest self and the outer self is just, I can do whatever I want with it. That can play out in what we would call Epicureanism, um, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, or that can lead me to a very low sense of my body and... Um, and and then I would I would harm my body in in different ways because my body doesn't matter, uh, so that Gnostic idea sneaks in there. It's subtle, and I think Peter kind of alludes to this. This this is a subtle thing. This heresy, and I think it's worth worth mentioning that he he labels these heresies as destructive. Yeah, yeah. And so what's he after there? Destructive to our faith, right? Right, right. Uh, destructive to my faith, destructive to my very essence of who I am as a human being, um, destructive to, some might argue, to culture, um, to society. Yeah, destructive in, in so many ways. Peter says that false teachers are bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Mm-hmm. So there's that word again uh, used differently. Here it's it's about the false teachers themselves because of what they're promoting, because of what they're teaching, they are bringing upon themselves swift, swift destruction. In what way? Yeah. I think we usually think of the word swift in in terms of like timely, right. in a very quick sort of way, right? Can you hear this? I'm trying to snap my finger. It didn't work very well. Swift. <laughs> See if it... There we go. That's better. So, um, yeah, and then I then I jumped to 2 Peter 3, where, where Peter says with the Lord... A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So, if you're thinking of swift in in the sense of timeliness, um, God gets to define what swift is. Um, but I think swift could also be uh, swift in the sense of complete. You know, like it is it is a a whole destruction um, that He's going to come through. I I, I can't help but picture um, out in the cornfields when you get your combine just 
plowing everything over. It's it's swift uh, in, in its completeness, I guess. Verse two is a sad and scary verse, sad and scary at the same time. It begins like this. Many will follow their shameful ways. Of course, that's the false teachers. Many will follow, both sad and scary at the same time. And and I think what's what's important to note here, we can look at heresies and say, man, how could they be so dumb? But I, I think that's not doing justice to to the people who promote these heresies. I, I I think it's good for us to have a sense of humility to say, you know what, these people aren't dumb. And They're neither very... is and neither is Satan. Right. Right. Satan is he's quite the adversary because he knows what he's doing and he's very good at what he does. Yeah. Heresies come about often because they're completely logical, because they make sense. You know, they, uh, if I don't understand a certain teaching of the Bible, and then then I try to explain it in a way that's not biblical, well, I'm doing that because it's logical. It makes sense. Um, that's why Luther, Luther at times talked about um, our reason and our logic being an opponent to faith. Um he used a little bit harsher words than opponent to faith, but I'll I'll let somebody else look that one up some other time. If it's that logical, it's no wonder that people will follow it because it makes sense. He goes on to say that uh, many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you. So that's verse three, that mm-hmm. word exploit. That's an interesting word. Peter repeatedly says false teachers are lining their pockets. Can it be said that they stick with their false teaching because it is more lucrative than the truth? Well, let's be honest. Heresy can be a lucrative business. I mean, we see it on TV all the time. Uh, I, I can remember watching televangelists. There was one in particular who was who was walking across the stage and people were literally throwing dollar bills at his feet and he was walking across them like they were leaves in a backyard, you know? Um, it's a lucrative business uh, to appeal to someone's faith for the sake of lining your own pockets. Um, but to say that all heretics are doing that, I think, would be an overstatement. Um, but you don't have to look far to see how lucrative of a business heresy is. And it's it's sad. So I guess some intentionally see that hey, I can make some money off this. Yeah. But then going back to what you said previously— False, many false teachers think that they are sharing the truth because it makes sense to them. Yeah, yeah. So it's not always just about making money. I, I mean, I, I think there's, we got to remember that one of the reasons that we believe, let's take the Trinity, for example. One of the reasons that we believe what we believe about the Trinity is because centuries were spent trying to figure out what is the Bible saying about who God is. And we and we look at this and we put all the passages together and say, oh, this Trinity, I understand how they came to that conclusion. But put yourself in the, in the shoes of a first century Christian who's trying to make sense of this. I mean, blood was spilled over this doctrine and, and we are standing on the shoulders of giants. So, um, so it's not a surprise that people were searching for the truth. They were trying to understand what Scripture says, and they came to conclusions that were not correct. It wasn't always about money. 
Um, sometimes it was, but sometimes it was just an honest search for the truth. So I think that that touch of humility would do us well as we deal with heresy. Okay. Uh, can you read for us verse 4? Verse 4, yes. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, and then it continues with some other examples. So that first part, of, or that, that verse then, speaking of Satan and his angels and uh, held in dungeons, what do we learn? What do we take from that verse about Satan and his and his demons today? Yeah, I, I, I think one thing for us to, to take away from this is hell was not created for people. You know, I, I just want to... I, I want to think about that and, and wrap my head around that. I, I haven't given it a lot of thought until I studied it in this verse. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. Um, and 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 God God set them outside of his presence. Um, so if you want to think in terms of, of uh, a prisoner, I was uh, reviewing the People's Bible, um, which is a, a commentary series, on Second Peter, and and the author of of that particular volume said, if Satan had a number for which prisoner he was, it would be zero 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 dash zero 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 dash zero zero one. You know, he was he was number one prisoner. So, so it was not God's intent to be sending people to hell. Um, God created us for life and for for righteousness. Um, but then once sin enters the world, misery loves company. Um, so the devil and his angels are always at work uh, trying to to bring us down with him. What about the idea that today Satan and the evil angels are not confined mm -hmm. to hell? They are out of God's presence, but they're not confined. They're not like locked up in a cell where they can't get at people mm -hmm. because clearly they can. Mm -hmm. The book of Revelation touches on that a little bit. I, I think a picture that I often find helpful is um, the dog on a chain sort of thing. You know, they're in, they're in the backyard, chained to a little stake in the backyard, and they can go this far, but they can't go that far, you know. Um, so So the book of Revelation talks about Satan being released for a time. Um, and, and then you can also see glimpses of this in the book of Job, where God said, Satan, you may go this far, um, but you cannot take his life, you know. So so we do see that Satan and his angels, they, they are on a leash, but God is still in control of how far he can go. So Satan, when he thinks he has his worst, um, God says, no, I'm still in control here. I can still use this for good. And Pastor, when we talk about this subject of Satan and angels and hell, and uh, we do have to be very careful, and I can sense that you're doing that, uh, being very careful we don't say too much, because right. then we could be guilty of heresy. Yeah, yeah. So you want to be very careful to say, you don't want to say more or less than what the Scripture says. All yeah. right, let's, uh, let's move on. Uh, Peter describes Noah here as a preacher of righteousness. Mm-hmm. We think of Noah, we think of a man who was, uh, of course, the, the builder of, of the ark and the flood. And the Bible describes Noah in Genesis as, as a righteous man who found God's favor. Here, Peter says he was a preacher of righteousness. So yeah. how, how do you take that? I mean, it took 120 years to build that ark. And 
you know, as people as people were walking by, I just imagine every single nail pounded into that ark was a preaching of righteousness of sorts. Um, sometimes we refer to um, our life being a time of grace. God gave everyone who walked by that ark a time of grace. And, and they had their opportunity to say, Noah, what's going on here? Um, instead, we're told that, they, that, that Noah was um, kind of an outcast. I mean, it looks like a crazy guy building a massive ark when, um, when floods were not exactly a thing at that time. But I, I would say we, we're not told specifically what he said, but just the actions that he was carrying out as he was building that ark. Uh, proclaimed what God was going to do and was a call to repentance. Let me talk about uh, verse 6, where Peter alludes to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says, and this is God, if he, if God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So we're getting a little bit away from false teachers here, but uh, my question here is about what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, mm-hmm. and we're told there with some detail in, in Genesis 21, I think, about Sodom and Gomorrah. And Peter here says that what happened to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah is, in a sense, a preview of hell. Why yeah. Why did God give us a preview of hell? This is going to sound a little backwards, but I would I would compare this to Noah building the ark. You're getting a little preview of what's going to happen. This is a call to repentance. Um, no one is going to come to faith through the law. So let's let's be clear about that. Faith comes from the gospel. With that said, the law makes it plain our desperate need for a savior. So when the law is proclaimed here through Sodom and Gomorrah, um, Peter's putting our eyes back there and says, you're aware of what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. This was not a good thing. And this happened to them because of their unrighteousness. So so here, this example of Sodom and Gomorrah is put before our eyes to say, this is not what you want. Um, repent. For those of you who want to look at other sections of scripture, I, as you're listening to this, uh, Luke 13 came to mind, where you had the Tower of Siloam. That, that fell down and 17 people died. And uh, why do we have that preview put before our eyes? Um, Jesus says, I'll deal with the 17. But when you see these kind of things happen, repent. Take a good hard look at yourself and where you are in your standing with God. Verses 4 through 9, what, what's the big picture in these verses? Can you help us get the message from these without me reading each verse? I'll give you my thought. I would love to hear your thought if, if you agree with me or if you want to take a little different slant on this too. But if I just look at this from like looking at the forest rather than the trees, the message I hear is God's going to take care of it. God will take care of these false teachers. God will take care of this unrighteousness. God will take care of it. But you don't give in. You don't want to fall into the same trap um, because God is a God of justice. Um, and 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 those who live apart from the faith in Christ, apart from faith in Christ, will face God's justice. And and um, what was the one preacher? It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. What I'm, I'm thinking of a of a famous 
uh, 19th century sermon, and, and his name is going to escape me. I should have written it down before. But called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I can't think of what the name of that preacher was, but somebody can Google it while they're listening to it. You said 19th century. I, I think it's 19th century. So that's it 1800s, might even, right? Yeah, it might even be earlier than... Ah, whatever. There's smarter people <laughs> with uh, with the Google machine that they can search for me. But Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. This is a terrifying place to be. So let's not fall into God's judgment. Let's rest in his grace. Um, and I think that's kind of the overriding message of verses four to nine. Did you did you come up with a similar thought or or did you take a different slant? I would agree. I think these verses tell us two things. One is God God will take care of what he well, God will take care of what what needs to be taken care of. Uh, those that that um, well, we all deserve God's punishment, but but those that are outside of Christ, God mm-hmm. will take care of them. and those mm-hmm. that are in in Christ, God will, We'll take care of them as well. Yeah. So yeah. don't worry about either. Yeah. So there's a law and gospel message here in these verses. Uh, chapter 10, the first part of uh, chapter 10. So I would call this uh, verse A. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Despise authority. What's this getting at? I mean, when you throw the word authority out there, you can probably take it in a number of different directions but uh, since since Peter is on the subject of false teaching my brain immediately goes to the authority of God's word this is what God's word says don't fall into these heresies so uh so I I would not think in terms of governmental authority or or maybe even leaders in the church or or anything like that insofar as these are the authorities who are proclaiming the word of God to us. So the authority here, as I read it, um, is really a focus on the authoritative word of God. That is the answer to all doctrine. Yeah, and that's, uh, that, that's what this podcast is all about, the word of God. And of course, Martin Luther says in, in his explanation of the third commandment, do not despise preaching and his word. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, Pastor. Well, I'd, I'd say we're about halfway through chapter two. All right. So we're going to take a break here and and uh, come back and finish up. There's still a lot to go here in yeah. chapter two. We'll finish that next week. Sounds good. All right. And and uh, I don't know. Maybe at the beginning of the next week we'll talk about your next vacation. Oh, I don't. I don't have anything planned right now. So North we'll see. Dakota. We'll see what happens. Okay, folks. Let's make this our prayer as we close. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Amen. Thank you for listening to Impact, a podcast ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. Our email address is impact at st-andrew-online.org. That's impact at st-andrew-online.org. Please tell your friends and family about Impact and pray for this ministry. Impact is new every Monday and all past episodes are available. The better you understand scripture, the greater impact it will have on your life.